the idea of holding or clinging to an anchor provides the power that we're talking about this morning in the scripture that Christ desires to be the anchor of our life. That that's the hope that we share together as the body of Christ, but is the hope that we can be found that there is a steady and sure anchor that is at work, and it is in Jesus Christ. In our culture today, we, we have these things often called faith walks or faith falls, and uh, some of you have seen what it means to, uh, to go or to experience this. Um, the faith walk where they, they have you either trust somebody and, and walk blindly with that person. Sometimes a faith walk in really extreme circumstances is walking across hot coals or something. But most often it's being guided by somebody, trusting somebody, listening to their voice and following directions. A faith fall, some of us have seen those too. And usually you see them when they don't work real well. So people fall back, lean back, fall off of something, and these people are supposed to catch them. And usually either the person falls the wrong way or they aren't really ready to hold the person up, right? And so they've really kind of become popular in our culture. Um, businesses and educational institutions often use them as team-building exercises to develop trust and cohesiveness um, amongst one another. And people blindly trust others with no definitive proof that they'll be caught today or any other day, right? So they do these exercises and they hope that it might build some trust and, and that in the future they'll be able to trust one another. But the truth is, is that the correlation between catching one another falling backwards doesn't always correlate real directly to trusting somebody in any given circumstance. Well, we actually really ought to call those things kind of hope falls or hope walks, really, because there's nothing to base that faith in or on. And unlike those kind of hope walks or hope falls, faith in God is rooted and grounded in his word. There is a sure foundation. And so this morning as we look at 1 Samuel 13, God desires us to experience his power and confidence as we walk by faith with him. So let's look at that passage together. We're going to stand together as we read 1 Samuel 13. We're going to go all the way through this chapter together. And this is what God's word says. It says this, verse 1, Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he'd reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines. It was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it, said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. 
When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns, and some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Samuel went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people who were present with him stayed in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines into three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah to the land of Shual. Another company turned toward Beth Horon. And another company turned toward the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks and a third of the shekel for sharpening the axes for the setting of goads. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Let's pray. Lord God, this morning... We ask that your spirit might come powerfully. That your spirit might speak to us personally. Lord, expose those areas of our hearts where faith may wane or faith is needed. Father, as your word says, may you establish us in your faith. And through your faith. God, may this time be just for you to speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, speak freely to us this morning. Speak through me. May we each hear your word. 
And Lord God, may our hearts be encouraged and challenged and convicted where needed. And may we rejoice over your goodness, over your faithfulness, and the fact that we can have relationship with you, eternal salvation, through faith in you. So Father, may today be about what you're doing and how you're moving in us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Walking by faith, even in the fear of seemingly insurmountable circumstances, allows God to confirm his work in us and enables his victory in our lives. Walking by faith, even in the fear of seemingly insurmountable circumstances, allows God to confirm his work in us and enables his victory in our lives. Walking by faith. It confirms, and it's also the means of our victory. And so when things are comfortable and things are going well, it's easy to walk by faith. The real question is, is are we actually walking by faith? But it's easy to walk by faith when things are going well, when we have things the way that we want things. Truth be told, our flesh is not conflicted, and we're experiencing the seemingly good fruit of this life. However, when our circumstances change and uncertainty is present, our faith in God can easily wane as our eyes move off of God. In 1 Samuel 12, verse 20 through 22, Samuel reminds the Israelites not to turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it's pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. So Saul and the Israelites have been challenged, as we, we saw last week, they were challenged to serve God with all of their heart, to not forsake the commandments of God, knowing that God would not forsake his people. In fact, he goes beyond that and he said that it pleases God to make us a people for him. So that's the, the context that we're coming into this passage with is that they're rejoicing over this recent victory and Samuel has just come in and said, listen, you need to recognize that what you did by rejecting the king of kings, and sought out an earthly king, you sinned against God. You rejected the God who was desiring to make you a people for himself. And so it says in this passage that Saul lived for one year. Now, that's not saying he was one years old. What it's actually saying is, is that it probably took about a year after this amount of time for the kingdom to be raised up, for the government to be established. Prior to this, there was no formal government. The army was more of a militia than an organized professional army. 
And so it took about a year for Saul to establish his place, for word to get through the kingdom of Israel that he is king. And then it says, kind of uniquely, that it took him about a year here. He lived for one year and then became king. And when he reigned for two years over Israel, now kind of interesting, he reigned for two years over Israel. Now, in and of itself, that doesn't seem like a big detail. But the truth is, is that it is. Because if you recall in 1 Samuel 8, 19 through 20, I'm not expecting you to remember that verse, but the truth of that verse, which was that the reason that they asked for an earthly king was this. Saul was, in essence, supposed to lead out in battle. It says, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So their battles still had never changed. They still had a nation that was looking to try to conquer them. They still were supposed to knock the the Philistines out. And Saul's waiting around for two years. We see this king that's been established that still has this apathy. Now notice, how long does it take Saul to battle against the enemies of Israel? Two years. Right? You can imagine it, just for a second, that Saul's getting comfortable in his kingdom. Eh, today doesn't feel like the right day, right? Let me just wait This is not a good day. It's like starting a diet. Tomorrow's always the best day to start a diet, right? It's not. But when you you start that diet, right, there's part of you that goes, gosh, well, tomorrow would be the better day. Let me just have one more day of eating stuff that's unhealthy before I start eating healthy, right? Well, it's kind of what's happening with Saul here. Saul has been given a task And he's not carrying it out. And notice what it says in verse 3 and 4. It tells us that Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. So his son is actually the one that leads out in battle. And we're going to actually see this next week. The faith of his son. So Saul does not lead out, and yet it says here, that Saul blows the trumpet throughout the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it, said that Saul defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench of the Philistines. Saul blows the trumpet and takes credit for the victory. He takes credit for the victory of his son. And then it says, the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. Now that word that's there, it says that they became a stench. Listen, the Israelites were perceived as weak people because they hadn't taken a stand. Jonathan comes out and he goes against the Philistines and he defeats the garrison that is at Geba. Jonathan moves forward and takes that action And it awakens the enemy. 
But what more awakens the enemy is this apathetic, we have victory, victory's coming to us, so we're okay kind of attitude. It's kind of an essence of God is on our side and he will bring victory however he chooses to bring it because all we have to do is show up. And what we're seeing here is that that's not going to be the case, that God is faithful, but his desire is not one of self-preservation for us, but it's about faith in him so that he might be glorified. And so Saul is looking out for himself, his protection, and his reputation. However, God desires for Saul and for us to walk by faith in him. This passage this morning is actually a passage about faith in God, but it is a rebuke. God is rebuking Saul for his lack of faith. And it's a message for us that in the same way, the same things that God desires for as we walk in faith that were true for Saul are true for us. And so what we see here are three truths about walking by faith with God. The first is this. Fear is a primary barrier to walking by faith. Fear is a primary barrier to walking by faith. Notice what it says. It says, when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns, But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. The Philistines had mustered at Michmash and will come down. This is now Saul saying this, will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. Now the people were fearful, but the king was fearful. The people were were coming underneath and following the king. The king was charged with obeying the command of of the Lord. And yet the king is walking in fear. His eyes are on the circumstances. Now, for many of us, it says here that Samuel, that Saul had actually waited for Samuel to come seven days. It goes on and says, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Now, on the surface, this seems like a relatively benign thing. Something needed to be done. Samuel didn't seemingly follow through, and therefore Saul had to do something. Ever sound like our circumstances? On the surface, this seems like a good response. Nothing's getting done. God won't mind. We got to care for the people, I'm going to offer up sacrifices on behalf of Samuel. The problem with this was that Saul wasn't motivated by his trust in God or even his honor of God. He was motivated by his own personal fear, looking at the army, the garrison that was looking to come across and defeat him. That's what the fear was. 
It's not unlike in the moment when Peter is walking on water with Jesus that he sees the wave and looks at the wave. It's always interesting, right, that Peter is the only one that gets out of the boat, and yet he's the one that's told, ye of little faith. But the reason is this. Peter was walking on water. He had seen God at work. He had seen the result of trusting in Christ. That's why Jesus says to him, ye of little faith. You just experienced what faith was like, the power of having faith in me. And you took my, your eyes off of me and put it on the wave and the wind and the seas. They had just experienced victory. They had experienced overwhelming victory. And then they experienced victory again here as Jonathan defeats the garrison of the Philistines, the garrison of the Philistines. And yet, even in the midst of this victory that they're experiencing, their faith is waning. Saul, his faith is not in God, but it is rather in the circumstances around him. Now it's interesting. Notice how quickly Samuel comes. It says, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mixmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. You know what this is? This is Adam's response. You gave me that woman. That woman you gave me, she caused me to sin. It's the same response. See, when fear is at work within us, we lose the sense of humility that's there, that God is putting and working in our own heart. When we're more focused on the circumstances or the events or the situation, rather than we are on Christ, a great telltale sign is when we become defensive about our responses. It's when we often blame shift. We make excuses, right, for not doing the things that we know that God has called us to. Think about the times that God has called you to share your faith verbally with somebody else. We've all been there. Excuses that go through our mind. This is not the right time, Lord. God, let me get to know them before I share this with them. I don't want to come across too harsh or judgmental, right? We have all kinds of excuses. And yet, Saul here has his excuse. This week, I was preparing for my sermon on Monday, 
And I sat down, and I was happy. I, I got my spot at Starbucks. If you guys have ever been to Windsor Starbucks, there's a spot just for me um, that I like. It's the perfect distance from the speakers, and, uh, and I don't have to listen to the music. And I had earplugs in, and I had just gotten settled. I mean, I was set, and it's kind of a routine that I have. You guys know me. I have a little routine. And I sat down, and I thought, this is good. I'm going to begin looking at this and dive on in. And as I sat down, this man came walking next to me, and his English was fairly broken. But he said, I want to know what you believe. Okay, God, that's what we're doing today, right? (laughs) That's what went through my mind. I don't really have a huge desire to do this right now, but he's asking, and so I will be faithful. And so he said, I'm going to come sit next to you, which means you're not leaving for a long time. And so he sat literally next to me, like side by side on this, this, this kind of bench, And God just kept impressing on my heart, this is where I've placed you right now. My call for you is to be obedient to me. And it was in that moment where it was like, I need to just trust the Lord in this, my own timing, set that aside and listen to this man and share with this man. What was interesting is because the English was broken, and because there was some other noise in there, the only way that he could hear me being clear was that I had to keep getting louder. Not louder because he couldn't understand the language, but louder because of the noise that was going on around. And what started to happen was people started getting quiet to the point that this entire Starbucks got quiet (laughs) as I'm sharing the gospel with this man. And... As I'm sharing the gospel with this man, I begin to realize that everybody is hearing what I'm sharing in the Starbucks. (laughs) And what was amazing in that moment was there was a side of me that just got shy. There was this battle that was taking place, which was get quieter. Get quieter. You're being too loud. These guys don't need to hear it. They may start fighting with what I'm saying over here. And the thing that the Lord just kept impressing on me again was keep going. That this may not be for him, but this may be for everybody else who's hearing the gospel. The truth is, is that we battle that. We battle those, those expectations and we battle some of the cultural things where we hear, listen, let's not push our faith upon other people. When we understand that and we really grab it, if if what God has us doing in sharing our faith is the answer to eternal life, togetherness with God forever or separation with him forever, what are we afraid of? We wouldn't be afraid if we had a pill that cured cancer. We'd shout it from the rooftops. And it's in those moments where 
rather than keeping our eyes on the Lord, our eyes can go to the people or the circumstances or the situation. And we stop walking in the power of God by faith. And we actually walk ourselves right into sin. There's an interesting dichotomy here in this passage. It says here that Saul forced himself and offered the burnt offering, which means that Saul knew that the only one that could offer the burnt offering was the priest. So he willingly entered into sin. But here's the part that's even more interesting. Right before that it says, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself, I sinned against God, and offered the burnt offering. I want the blessing of God, and I'm seeking the blessing of God, the favor of God, and yet I'm going to do it through sinful means. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we hear this in context I'll hear this from time to time in marriages where they're tearing apart and one spouse will say, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? And and I'm okay with that. How how much is God going to punish me if I get out of this marriage? You're asking the wrong question. First of all, God wants you holy. And as he works in your holiness, there will be joy. And joy doesn't always translate to happiness. But joy translates to peace, to fulfillment, to contentment, which in the end, if we really look at it, actually is happy. There's something that is soothing to our soul. And in the same way, somebody doesn't get to say, guess what? I get to get out of this so that I can, I can just have the blessing because God wants me happy more than he wants me holy. Bill Davis points out Samuel was the bearer of Yahweh's word, and Saul's task was to wait for it. Instead, he proceeded without it, for Saul's sacrificial ritual was essential, but prophetic direction dispensable. Saul's was an act of insubordination, a failure to submit to Yahweh's word through his prophet. By his actions, Saul confessed that certain emergencies rendered Yahweh's word unnecessary. When the chips were down, kingship could function on its own. How many times have we rendered God's word unnecessary? When God says that sin is common to man and all sin is common to man, that he is still the source of victory in our life, do we believe that? Or do we believe that we're the exception? Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. In Luke 12, 4 through 5, Jesus affirms this when he says, I tell you, my friends, 
do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Fear is a primary barrier to walking by faith because it draws our focus off of Christ and onto our circumstances. It minimizes the word of God that says, be content. It minimizes the word of God which says, be holy, for I will never forsake you. The second truth that we see here is in verse 13 through 14. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince or leader over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. God confirms our heart as we walk by faith. God confirms our heart as we walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Here is what this word means. Here is what is happening this idea of establishing. It's to set in, in sturdy foundation, to be confident, to be complete. It's the idea of building on a strong foundation and making that foundation known. It's what Christ does with us. He establishes us. My nephew has a really rare genetic condition, and he's 15, and he's, he's completely blind at night. And this past summer, we were traveling with them, and my brother-in-law, I remember we kind of just went about our business, and we were saying, let's go out, we'll, we'll go out to the city at nighttime, we'll come back. And, and I remember my nephew just, I can't do that, I can't walk at night. And I remember my brother-in-law just putting his hand on his shoulder and he's like, you can do it, because I'm with you. And I remember my nephew protesting. And so, as night came and we realized that we had to walk a mile and a half back in the dark, my nephew took his hand on his dad's shoulder and they started walking. And they walked, and they walked. And along the way, it started with, Dad, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this, Dad. 
Dad, I can't see anything. I can't see anything. And his dad was just simply, I'm your eyes. You have to trust me. I'm your eyes. You have to trust me. And they walk some more. And after walking for a little bit, he'd get more panicked again. His dad would simply say, you're fine. You're fine. I'm your eyes. You have to trust me. And what started happening over that mile and a half was that fear got less and less and less as the trust got established more and more and more. And as my nephew began to be confident in the eyes of his father. In the same way, that's what God does to us when we live by faith. See, some of the reasons that we often don't experience the power of God in radical ways is because we lack that faith. The way faith builds and is established and grown in our lives and grown in our heart is by living by faith, by walking in faith. And you can imagine in that moment that Saul was looking at the army going, there is no way. And some of us have been there. And what Samuel came to say was, listen, you've already seen God work. You've already seen him work. He had appointed you for this work. And he would have established your kingdom But you willfully and willingly sinned against him. And so he says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Now the beauty of this is that we have Jesus Christ. The one difference here is that we have Jesus Christ. We have a Savior who went to the cross and in Romans 1, 16 through 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. There are going to be times in our life where we fail. But we have a Savior in Jesus who restores us, who establishes us. The truth is, is that God would have established Saul's kingdom, but Saul willingly put his trust in his circumstances rather than in God. Luke 9, 23 through 24 adds, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The very thing that Saul wanted which was victory for his people, was the very thing that he was working against. And that is true in our lives. We're to be faithful where God has planted us. And we live in a culture where there's all kinds of distractions. 
Lisa and I received word this week from a friend who is dying of cancer. She's our age. We grew up with her. She's in our church growing up. Known her since the, we were all born at, together kind of around the same time. And she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Um, she has three children that are in their teens and um, single mom. And they've tried everything. But this week we, we got a, a post that she shared, that her brother shared. And it just simply said, God is doing great things. And so we thought, God's doing some great things. Is there healing in the mix? And the great things were that her doctors were coming to Christ. That in, she had a, a meeting with 10 doctors in Texas. And when she sat down after sharing her faith with one doctor, the doctor said, can you share your faith story with the rest of the 10 doctors here? And one of the 10 evidently said in the room, well, I'm a believer, so I'd like to hear it. And the other nine listened. That doctor that asked to hear the faith story was not a believer. But what he shared with her later was is that his wife was and his children were and that God had been working on his heart and now he needed to seriously consider the truth of God as he witnessed what was going on at work within her life. It has the faith to say that God is work at work in spite of my circumstances. That God is my security in spite of my circumstances. And when we experience that, God establishes us. He builds confidence. I wonder what would happen if the body of Christ lived with faith like that. Would children look at their parents' faith and say it's bogus? Or would they see an adventure with Christ that is unlike no other. One that whatever life brings, God has it. The third thing that we see here is that God's victory is experienced through walking by faith. God's victory is experienced through walking by faith. Notice what happens in Saul's case, because he's been disobedient and he's chosen to, to trust in his own self-sufficiency, it says, and Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal, and the rest of the people went after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. Samuel, the priest, leaves Saul, the king. And Samuel goes someplace else as Saul walks into battle without the one who's interceding on his behalf. See, Christ, our priest, is with us. When we walk by faith, Christ, our priest, is with us. I want to encourage you to write this verse down. Hebrews 9, verses 23 through 28. Hebrews 9, verses 23 through 28. And this is what it says. It says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. 
For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Isn't that great news? When we walk by faith, Christ, our priest, is with us. He's interceding on our behalf. See, when we are going our own way away from him, we are thwarting the will of God. The second part of that victory is that Christ gives us the weapon for victory. Christ gives us the weapon for victory. Philippians 2.12 says this, and it's important for us. It's through Christ that we have victory. Sometimes we, we look at the methods and we, we want to put it in our, our flesh. Ian Thomas says that too often as Christians we use the tools we had before we came to Christ to try to become like Christ. The only way to become like Christ is for Christ to do the work within us. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as the lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life, so in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He's saying, listen, take God's word. Allow God's word to work within your life. That faith in Christ, as I seek Christ and I cling to his word, God does a work that transforms and changes and grants victory. It's why he said that he, that he is the one who bore our sin and shame. Hebrews 13, 5 through 7, affirms this when it says this. It says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my help, or I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life. And imitate their faith. As we submit to God's word, 
Christ gives us the weapon for victory, which is himself. Ian Thomas said this. He laid it out as simple as possible. And I love the way that he puts it. He says this in his passage. He says, you are not called upon to commit yourself to a need or to a task or to a field. You are called upon to commit yourself to God. That's what God desires from us. A heart that is committed to him. He said one final thing. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. The one who calls you to a life of righteousness is the one who by your consent, by faith, lives that life of righteousness through you. The one who calls you to minister to the needs of humanity is the one who by your consent, by faith, ministers to the needs of humanity through you. The one who calls you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature is the one who by your consent, by faith, goes into all the world and preaches the gospel to every creature through you. This is the divine genius that saves a man from the futility of self-effort. May we be a people who live by faith, pleasing God for his glory and for his purpose. Amen? Amen. Lord God, thank you that we can stand before you this morning, look at your word, and rejoice over it. God, may we be a people of faith that are living by faith, not seeking the things of this world or focused on the things that we don't have or that we're worried about for the future, but God, may we seek you in faith, trusting that you are our security, that you are our protector, that you are the one that establishes us and affirms our salvation. Thank you, Lord, that it's through faith that we might know you, because there is not a work, God, that we could ever do to be in relationship with you. Thank you for the righteousness that you've given us, and may we live by faith in your power. And we ask this in your name. Amen.